are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in here on Westwood One. This is the Steve Day Show podcast powered by CRTV. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Speaking of CRTV, we just wrapped up production for the Dace Group, our weekly look at the week that was. You guys want to give the audience a tease of what they want to be looking for later today at CRTV.com? Sure. Confidence not so high in what you said, Steve, and I think rightly so, is should really be an easy moral and political call uh, for the right concerning the nomination of a judge. But the highest we got on certitude of overturning Roe v. Wade was a 6.8. Someone just needs to say to the Republicans and really to the pro-life industry like National Right to Life that plays runs cover for them. You're, you're going to take all the exact same amount of heat, name-calling, political vitriol, diatribes, if you nominate abortion Barbie Wendy Davis, as you will if you nominate a fifth vote to overturn Roe. That is baked into the cake. That is the Democrat playbook. And therefore, you'll get no points for showing any restraint. So don't. Bingo. Don't. Aaron. Yes. Um, Roaming Millennial joined us on the day script today. Uh, she is a very well-spoken young lady, uh, and this is the first time she's been on the day script, so that was kind of cool. Uh, you want to hear her comments on everything we talked about. Also, I teased this during the show, but things are going to start changing for us now. Because we're going to be gone for a week, and on the TV show, things are going to look a little bit different. Hopefully a lot different. For the better. Indeed, and you're right. Uh, Roaming Millennial did a great job uh, today. So if you want to watch our show today on CRTV and every day, use my name, Dace, D-E-A-C-E, as more than a swear word. You can now use it as a promo code, and it'll get you a discounted subscription that will give you not just access to our show at CRTV, but every single show that we do, including the great one, Mark Levin, Roaming Millennial's content, and so much more, just a quarter a day at CRTV.com if you use my name, the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. And of course, it's a Feedback Friday here on the podcast. If you want your feedback uh, to potentially uh, make it into the podcast for a response from us, here's how you can submit it. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You guys ready to go? Bingo, let's go. All right, Caleb writes, I am 21. I have no expectation that I will ever get a single social security check. I want to reform the program so that the generation, like my children, won't ever have to pay a single social security payment in their life. The problem with this is that there's no way to reform social security I can think of without someone losing. If that makes sense, it's not a matter of creating a plan that has no losers, but rather who will lose. Are we going to take benefits away from the baby boomers, Generation X, Millennials, Generation Z? I just don't see a financial way for the government to reform Social Security without someone losing basically everything they put into it. 
What I have said is that I think the best solution I can think of is kind of a phase-out program. We reduce the benefits and taxes by 2% a year or 3.33% a year until the program is abolished entirely. It would result in the program slowly phasing out over 50 or 30 years, depending on what percentage of reduction you used. In addition, I'd essentially have everyone between the ages of 18 to 35 not be eligible for Social Security ever. It sucks, but I don't see another option. I'm fully willing to pay for Social Security my life and get none of it, as I expect that's how it's going to end up anyway. And I don't want my children to be left with the same mess that I was left with. In my view, someone is going to have to foot the bill for the government's careless spending. I wish the baby boomer generation had the moral integrity to claim to claim to claim it as their fault for allowing Social Security to be expanded to the mess that it is. However, I've yet to meet a baby boomer willing to reform Social Security drastically because they're too close to getting that gravy train. So it looks like it's going to be us millennials that get clubbed on this one. I think that until someone takes the hit, we just keep passing the buck further and further down, and eventually this house of cards is going to come crashing down. I just wish the house of cards crash down on the people that voted this policy in and not those like me that had no say in the matter and yet were taxed without representation. That's from Caleb. Now, Caleb, let me start here. I've got good news for you, or it could be bad news depending on your perspective. The older you get and the longer we go without abolishing, abolishing the Social Security program, the more your generation is going to be in favor of it. All the stuff you guys are saying now about abolishing Social Security, Ron Paul was on Morton Downey Jr. saying this stuff, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the late 80s. And when Gen Xers like Todd and I were first coming of age politically and like, yeah, we don't want to have to pay that crap. Yeah. You're how, how old are you, Todd? 45? 45. I'm going to be 45 in a few weeks. How much do we hear people from our generation talking about abolishing Social Security compared to, say, 15, 20 years ago? Less. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? They're closer to it. Yeah. See, treason never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none will dare call it treason. And that's the reality of these government shell games. That's the reality of pitting classes of people against one another, telling classes of people it is their responsibility to work for others. And then when it's your turn to get paid, you're like, hey, I did it all these years. Where's my cut? I think we would all be sympathetic with that to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. We both here's the, here's the conundrum. It's completely immoral to confiscate somebody's productivity against their will and give it to somebody that didn't earn it. We all agree on that, right? Yes. Agreed. It's completely immoral to confiscate somebody's productivity under the promise that you're having it in safekeeping for another time when they won't be able to be as productive as they are now and then not give it to them. Do we all agree on that too? Yes. So how do you how do you reconcile those two things, Todd? Go. Exactly. I don't I don't Aaron, do you know? Go ahead. No. Yeah, I need, I don't, nobody knows. <laughs> Aaron's reading back there. He's like, yeah, I don't, nothing. That's, that's, that's why Caleb said, I, don't, I can't come up with a way to do this without somebody losing. Yeah. That's the goal of bureaucracy. That's why we don't cut anything. So Someone's going to lose. Some victim group. That's why I was rooting for the sequester a few years ago when we shut the government down over 17% of the budget. Life went on. 
And then the Republicans are like, we got to put that sequester back in. <laughs> All right. So nothing gets cut. And this is the reason why. Because there's always going to be a loser. That's the reality of it. And if you had a chance of having the kind of people who would accept such terms and mm-hmm. would be uh, the, of the kind of stock that could bear that, uh, that that's really what you need to get towards. Yesterday, uh, I think it, it's uh, no small coincidence concerning this, that you talked with Phil Robertson about manhood. We have how many births out of wedlock? We Men who actually understand that they are biological men still don't know how to be men, and there's a lot of men who don't understand that they're biological men. They want to be girls. I, really, I, I as as interesting and heartfelt as your email was you don't have a shot until there are men until there are families there's there a sense of a core backbone to a society that will bear burdens we don't have anything close to that so moving on yeah that's simply where we're at i I don't that's why i don't george w bush ran for president in 2004 and in his reelect on reforming social security openly campaigned on it to his credit, because that's something the Democrats, every election, you know, they're going to roll out with. They're going to cut your Social Security and Medicare. They've been doing this our whole life, yeah. right? There's, hey, can you think of an election Democrats have not ran that commercial in your life? That's been a commercial every election our whole lives. And so George W. Bush tried to counter that by by saying, you know what, I'm just going to run on, I'm going to play, I'm going to go on offense. I'm going to run on, we're going to reform the system. Wins re-election in 2004, Chuck Grassley, our senator here, is one of the chairman of the committees where uh, this would have to go through. I believe that lasted for about 10 minutes after the 2004 re-elect, if I remember. It might have even been eight, Todd. Was it eight or 10? Maybe less. Yeah, we'll split the difference. We'll call it we'll, we'll call it nine. And it was like so, I couldn't believe how easily they- It was like the Las Vegas w- shooter. It never happened. Wilted. The demagoguing was was like so predictable, and it wasn't even that like- ha- right. I mean, hardcore by today's standards, and they were like, oh, Imagine no. running for president openly on reforming the system. Yeah. And win. You're yeah. the last Republican yeah. in the popular vote. Yeah. You still won. And then the power of the lobby and of, of, of the bureaucracy was so powerful that even after winning by openly saying you wanted to do this, the will was not there after the win. And when they saw they were up against a brick wall, they just bush rove at all, just punted. Yep. That was it. Lasted for 10 minutes, Aaron. This is why, as well, when you hear anybody, not just politici- politicians, anybody say, eh, you know, I'm, I'm a fiscal conservative, they're not conservative. Agreed. They're not conservative. I, I totally agree. There's no such thing as a fiscal conservative, as, as if you can draw a line between fiscal and social or more. If know, that's your definition, I agree, is, yes. Nothing, everything is a moral issue. Yep. So if somebody says they're a fiscal conservative, uh, that... That by extension, a lot of times, I'm, I would say, means that they really have no moral basis. And so they will just go along with it, whatever um, perpetuating of these bureaucratic shell games that we have right now, like Social Security. They will vote every time to make, make the government bigger, even though they're fiscal conservatives. Into that end, you know, if you're you're absolutely right. If you if you're a fiscal conservative just because you're cheap. That, that's immoral too. Yes, I mean that's not that's not the reason why we're fiscal conservatives. You know, it's not just spending less money because somehow in this equation less is more. That's that's not it. 
Ethan writes, while I'm sure it's done great things for your blood pressure and general option or general optimism, such as it is, to be militant about not watching award shows. I think he means that I'm not generally optimistic. I would think watching you guys' live reactions to something like the Grammys, maybe in collusion with like a Steven Crowder and others, would make for great TV. Just the expression on your faces as the preening progressives pontificated and no, the alliteration was not intentional, would make it worth the price of admission. July 18th, 2018, or when the ESPYs are being held. I'm going to tell you right now. Unless CRTV comes to me and says, it's this, or we cancel your show. <laughs> or they offer me an outrageous sum of money. Because I'm gonna, you know, like one of my 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 closest cousin. She was like my sister growing up, and she was a manager for Quick Trips here in town. And we don't really have we have rough neighborhoods in Des Moines, but rough relative to like Chicago, Detroit, Gary, Indiana. No, okay, but like the one Quick Trip over there by Mercy Hospital, kind of a rough part of town, yeah, right? Yeah. She got like an extra forty percent per hour. If they gave her a managerial shift over there, and they called it combat pay, that was literally what Quick Trip called it was combat pay. They're going to have to give me that kind of combat pay. Or they're, they're going to say, it's food off your table for your family unless you put yourself through this. Because that's how resistant I am to this. I have, I think, watched one award show since Richard Gere's uh, Dalai Lama speech at the 90, 1992 Oscars. Um, and it was Jim Valvano's SB speech the very next year. And ever since then... I'm just, I'm out. I can't do it to myself because they're just, it's its not just the, that it's an ideology I disagree with. I mean, Mike, what he used to, you know, our former movie reviewer who's now retired, used to bust my balls for this all the time. Well, you don't like it. I'm like, Mike, do you understand that if I only consumed entertainment that affirmed my worldview, you and I would have like no movies to review on this segment for 20 years that we have, right? I'll consume all kinds of things that aren't affirming of my worldview if they're done well. But they're, it's bad. It's, it's, vape, combine an aberrant worldview with vapid Kardashian-like celebrity. Like Jersey Shore-like celebrity. You're so dumb. Yes. For, no, not no, not hell no. Like hell no. No, it's, no, no. I can't do that to myself, nor my children. It's going to take the kind of money where the kids get an extra Disney trip, or I lose my career if I'm unwilling to do this. Short of that, I can't put myself... I'm, I'm a, I work out, man. I'm in really good shape. I'm at that heart attack age, though, where even if, you, even if you're a runner, you can grab your chest at any moment, right? I can't do that to myself, Todd, no. So is this the kind of show, Aaron, if the timing is right and Steve's out of town, you and I just do it? I think we should. I think we need more stunts like that. You will do it. You know what? God bless you. I can't. I can't put myself through it, man. What if we do it? What if we What if we take the Steve Day show on the road, do it from your basement so you can flip in between channels? I don't want to even overhear it. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. What I if, believe he's what right. If, what if he we, can't. No, what if we turn on the SAP button on your <laughs> on your TV? That way it's in Spanish. What if I sit up? What if, what oh, if, that's what we should do. We should watch it in Spanish, 
and then we can uh, add our own subtitles to it. What if you came in here one day and saw a box of printed papers and you rummaged through them and they all said, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy? Oh, I've done. I've been there. Yeah. That that would be red rum. That was my screenwriting class. Yeah. We were supposed, we were every, half an hour every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in our screenwriting class. We were supposed to be working on our screenplay that we were writing. I didn't want to do that. So I just wrote All Work and No Play makes Aaron a Dual Boy over and over and over again for half an hour. So I've been there. It's all good. That's truly frightening. I've, look how I turned out. Thanks. Look what this question alone has done to this show, let alone actually watching one yeah. of these. I should have saved this email for last. I can't, I, <laughs> I, I've got it. Give me a second here. You can't even. <laughs> Hamana, hamana, ham. All right, I can move on. Okay. But no, no is the answer. Uh, Joe writes, how did you know you wanted to really get into political activism and how did you get started doing it? I'm in my low 30s and while I try to pay attention to politics and rant about the decisions they're making, I don't feel my heart is, is, is in getting into politics as a politician, but I do want to make some kind of difference. How do you know when it was the right time? I've been in North Carolina most of my years, but I'm applying for school with, uh, with, in Virginia, which will then move me, or with the VA, I'm sorry, which will move me to Texas for a year. Tennessee for two years and then three years wherever the VA sends me. I don't know if getting politically active beyond voting would be the right time for me until we settle down for good. Do you agree with that? Or am I not looking at the big picture? I have a general rule about major life decisions. If you're not sure, the answer is no. And I've abided by that and it's never steered me wrong. Like when we've bought a house, Amy and I, we don't negotiate with each other. We don't, afterwards, the minute someone has, a, has an objection, nope, not buying it. Same with a car, same with backing a candidate. In general, if you're not sure, the answer is no. So my first counsel to you, Joe, would be, if you're not sure this is something to add on to your plate right now, Try to figure out, A, am I just looking for an excuse not to do something I'm being called to do? Because barring that, that's always a caveat here, right? Barring that, the answer is no. If at another stage in your life you decide this is something you want to do, you know, I, I got started volunteering at the local Republican Party. You know, funny story, when I, when I first moved back here and I first started working as a part-time news assistant at the Des Moines Register. And it was the uh, lead up to the 1995 Iowa straw poll for the 96 Iowa caucuses. And so all the Republicans were here. And a buddy of mine um, went and uh, we volunteered for, they're just looking for volunteers so they need as many people as they can. We went, we volunteered for Phil Graham, the former Texas Senator who was running for president that year. And, um, just by volunteering at that local event, we got the, the mayor of West Des Moines, which is now the suburb where I live, was, it was Phil Graham's birthday party that weekend. He threw a birthday party at his house. We actually, just because we were, on the, we were volunteers there at the event, got roped into going to that, got all and, and made all kinds of relationships just from doing that. You know, so um, there's always opportunities to volunteer. Uh, a month later, the uh, the local Republican Party had a dinner and brought a bunch of the presidential candidates in. And, 
you know, I'm a 22-year-old college dropout. Nobody knows who I am. News assistant is a nice way of saying towboy, gopher in a Des Moines Register newsroom. Don't you think that's kind of what it means? Yeah. Maybe, it, well, maybe now they're more polite about it. Back in 1995, they actually still were willing to use you and give you euphemisms like custodial engineer if it made you feel better. But you were the low man on the total pole. I did the stuff nobody else wanted to do. So I had no connections, nothing. And a, and a month after, you know, helping out with Phil Graham and going to his birthday party, because they so needed volunteers, I got set up to essentially be the local chaperone for Dick Luger, the former Indiana senator who was running for president that cycle. I sat next to him at the dinner. I was my job to get him the stuff that he needed. You know, and, and you, it, that's how you network. That's how you develop relationships. These organizations, these m- efforts are always looking for people to volunteer. And I'd say the same thing. I, get a- I still get asked, not as much as I used to, but I still get asked by young people, how do you get into the business I'm in? I'm sure your J school and communication school degree matters. I'm sure it does. I just don't have any of that. And so my best advice is, now I wouldn't tell you to drop out of school, but the, 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 the fastest you can actually get your foot in the door somewhere, even if you're swabbing the poop deck, man, over, on the graveyard shift, you fast as you can get your foot in the door, get applicable experience, start networking, building relationships, do that. And, and learn multiple aspects of the job. Until recently, like I can't do any of Aaron's job now. I don't know any of the video component stuff because this stuff is all new to when I first was coming in getting trained. Prior to this, I could have produced the show. If Aaron got hit by a truck when we were on Salem overnights, I could have jumped in there and produced it. Because I had to learn to do all that kind of stuff, the practical aspect of it. And then it's like making an NFL football team. You know, if you're a lot of times those last three spots amongst those final five guys goes to the guy that can play multiple positions, including special teams. You know what I'm saying? Right. So make yourself more valuable. You know, the more applicable hands-on experience you can get, go for it. And same thing with politics. Volunteer your first chance. Go to find out what the most influential conservative organization is that you think has integrity. Find out what their big summer fall event is. Volunteer right away. Start making connections that would be my advice anybody want to add to that that latter half was going to be my exact advice you can be involved without being all in in something you can't extricate yourself of i mean do mm-hmm. it do it on your terms yeah yeah that's all i would say um and just reiterating what you said at first if you're not sure yeah i mean don't, if you're gonna do it do it but do it on your own terms i mean don't bite off more than you can chew don't neglect other responsibilities that are more important. Um, but if you're going to do it, uh, whatever you t- uh, intend on doing, do it, do, do it to its fullest potential. and Do it to your fullest potential. Also, if, if you're going to the VA, find out if you are allowed to. You may not be permitted to do, depending on what your duties there are. Partisan political activity may not be permitted there. That's possible for a job like that. So you're going to want to find that out. Okay. Chad says, I think the question of what percentage of the left is a bunch of frothing radicals somewhat misses the point. The podcast I'm referring to is uh, starting to slip my mind a bit, but I think Todd basically said the same thing, that the rabid minority has all the power and control. I think there's a famous quote that basically says that the passionate minority have always been the ones to change history. And I think that's right. That's, that's actual Samuel Adams. 
it's never been the majority, but a passionate minority that has always affected the most historical change. That's a Samuel Adams quote or thereabouts. That's probably why the left has been winning so much since the 60s. The right has a passion issue that perhaps only that revival you talk about will fix. Thoughts on that, Todd? Yeah. I mean, I think we talk about this all the time. The, is there any religion in America day, today that is more robust in its zealousness than whatever progressivism, secular humanism at all? I, I, absolutely not. I, I, Christianity, whatever version of mere Christianity we still have surviving in America does not come close on any given day. Uh to uh, fighting the way uh, progressivism does. So, yeah, we, if you had the same level of zeal for and confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to take hold of people's lives for good, it, yeah, game over. But no, no one has this confidence. You, you just got done talking today uh, about uh, the pro-life movement. You, you made the exact same point I'm making right now. If we had a pro-life movement that, well, then we would get an undeniable choice that would overturn Roe v. Wade. But we, we have no such confidence in that happening. Um, I, I will actually say that the quote-unquote right, if it is actually being faithful to its roots, should never... It ought never be as zealous as the left. Because if we're being truly faithful to our roots, the world is not all that there is. The government is not all that there is. It is not God. And so when things change uh, in, in this realm, we don't start burning down Berkeley. We don't start harassing um, elected officials. That's not to say, though, that the enthusiasm or the motivation for our enthusiasm is lacking. I think the motivation, the true motivation, which should be compassion for our fellow man, and the idea that our ideas is what will truly help alleviate suffering and promote the most justice for our fellow for, for our fellow man I think that's what's lacking the most mm -hmm. but I think we need to be careful about well we need to be as zealous as the no really if we are being faithful and putting things in the right context and proper place they're always always going to be more zealous than, than we are I think it's because the great challenge for our worldview, and I think it will be a uniquely difficult challenge in the era we are embarking upon, is is we aren't permitted to hate them as much as they hate us. Yes. We can't. It's just, we can't do it. Not allowed. So... That already is going to put you to a tactical disadvantage. This is why you keep hearing me say, we fight as hard as the left, but not like the left. We can't win that game. God's not going to bless that. 
a God who sends his own son to the cross to die for his enemies, isn't going to bless that, guys. Okay? The reason why even unbelievers know the examples of Noah's flood and the smiting of Sodom and Gomorrah is because they're irregular moments of corporal or capital, divine corporal and capital punishment. They're not the norm. The norm is mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the norm. That's the norm. Sometimes a people are so far gone, a culture is so far gone, that after centuries of putting up with it, God looks at the Israelites and says, you know, just go in there and hit the control, I'll delete button, I've, I've done, we've had enough. But how long did it take they weren't like that for like a decade or two or a generation or nine. They were like that for freaking centuries they were like that. For centuries the Jewish people flirted with, succumbed to idolatry. There would be captivities, there would be punishments. But it wasn't really until they went down to the valley of Ben-Hinnom and threw their babies into the fire to Molech that the belt came off. The norm in God's, in God's story, the norm is mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the norm. Because he is long-suffering. Yes. Thank God. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> hell would Thanos have... Thanos' snap of the finger. Yeah. Hell, Boom. Would have, hell would have the no vacancy sign. <laughs> right? There'd be no room at that end. Okay? Um, and so this will be our temptation. Our temptation will be to succumb to a rage that will ultimately undo our own case. And I think there's a difference between conviction and that level of zealotry that Aaron is warning you about. And I, and I think we, we need to come now and reason together about what that is. You know? But we're always going to be at that disadvantage. We also, though have the greatest tactical advantage in the history of the cosmos. That would be the only undefeated being in in the universe. But but that's not that's not an unconditional that's that's not a vendo machine where if we had enough money and put it in there, then what we wanted comes out. He is mighty to save, but it's going to be on his terms and his timing and for his glory and not for ours. Not for ours. We don't build our own babbles. We don't beckon him. That's not how this works. He calls us. Rodney writes, what is really bothering me, though, is the near hysteria I'm hearing from those on the right and throwing around of the throwing around of a term like civil war, it just makes me feel like we need to grow up. To me, it just seems like a major overreaction to empty words. Yes, you can cite the guy who tried to shoot at the baseball practice last year, but you know as well as I do, there are plenty of crazies on the right as well as the left. Your average leftist, even the hardcore ones, are not about to start killing or injuring people who disagree with them. To me, it just looks like we are playing the victim card, blowing everything out of proportion, and losing credibility in the process. Um... There is some of that. That some of that's true. Victimology politically sells on both sides of the aisle. Martin, nothing sells in terms of partisan political content like being a martyr. Draws the most clicks, 
gets the most cable news exposure. People are lining up to be martyred, lining up to be politically victimized. Why is that so successful? You want to know why it's successful? Because, and there has been numerous surveys, including Pew, whose research methodology I quote immensely and highly respect, because as somebody that's worked on campaigns, I can give you a pretty good idea of which, which, which non-proprietary public polling information is full of bunk and which ones even campaign professionals will read. Pew's one even the pros read, okay? And what they'll tell you is most people are driven to join one of these two parties more often because of their disdain for the other than their support for the one they belong to. When you have a culture where the two primary vehicles you have to fight out your differences to avoid going to civil war are each primarily seeing their biggest boon, their biggest gain from negative reinforcement, from driving up hatred for the other rather than touting their own accomplishments. That's not good. And let me, let, let me grant you your point, Rodney, that there are just as many crazies on the right. There, that may be true. So if, if, you're, if there's an equal amount of crazies on both sides, I don't know why you would look at that and your reaction would be, and that's exactly why we shouldn't just blow things out of proportion. I don't know. I mean, it kind of seems to me if you've got crazy people on both sides willing to, you know, melt down. What does that sound like to you, Todd? It it sounds like he should be writing a letter with the opposite concern than he has. Yeah. You kind of just described all the conditions for a yes. civil war. Overheated rhetoric, people profiting off of martyrdom and victimology, and crazies being incentivized on every side. Okay. I mean, that's, that's where this stuff comes from. It doesn't come from well-reasoned debate and analysis. It comes from this. What you just described are the very conditions that set forth, Rodney, what you think is not happening. Now, I agree with you. I don't think most Americans believe we are in a civil war. But when there is one group of people who have decided they will not live with most of America unless they can tell you how to believe and behave, then open civil war is upon you whether you would like to recognize Great it or not. Quote. Great quote. I agree. Most of us are like, dude, what's, what barbecue we have in next week? Right? That's where most people, most of the 135 million people that voted in 2016, regardless of how they voted, that is probably what 80% of them are going to be doing next week, barbecuing. Right? Yes. Problem is, other 20% has all the media, has all of academia, has control of one major political party, has Hollywood. They can drive a narrative. And the narrative they're driving, they're doing this themselves. And this is coming from the guy who just did a mini a, a soliloquy on we can't succumb to the rage, right? We just had that conversation three minutes ago, right? Correct. I think that conversation happened quicker than George W. Bush gave up on Social Security reform. We just did this. I'm not naive, though, either. So on, on one hand, yeah, I'm telling you, don't, don't follow Jesus, not Judas, not Barabbas, the zealot. Okay? I'm telling you that. On the other hand, I'm also telling you, um, guard yourself. They're coming for you. Be prepared. 
They're coming. They're telling you they're coming. Know thy enemy. Yeah, I, I mean, I just... I, I'm just going to start believing people. I think that's a pretty good policy. When people openly who don't agree with your beliefs openly tell you, at first blush, I'm going to end you if I can, I'm just going to start believing them. I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Right? Yes. Okay. That's called sanity. I would agree. Rick says, I was listening to Mark Levin's podcast the other morning, and he mentioned all the great shows on, St- on CRTV, including Steve Deese. You're yes. no longer other programming. Yes. Sure we are. Uh, Don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're an incredible slouch. <laughs> Jane, you ignorant slut. Yes. yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know what? I don't really know how my last name's pronounced. It's like I asked Kirk Ferentz, your football coach, many years ago, Aaron, why he doesn't correct people or does he get annoyed when he gets called Kirk Friends? He's like, half our family could pronounce it that way. I could be wrong. I don't know. So I don't care. <laughs> and I, I've actually learned, like, uh, there's not too many Deces, but several of them actually do call themselves Dece. There's whole parts of our family tree here that they do pronounce it that way. So I, I maybe the real I question could be is, wrong. Yeah, maybe the real question is, why don't you just start saying it the right way? <laughs> Do you I even know who you are? I don't. I don't. I've been hard. You sit on a throne of lies. I've been hard on Steve <laughs> over the last 24 hours. I sent him an email last night I, where I started making smoke signal and grunting jokes because of, because yeah, of the media. Yeah, he, he was asking me yeah. about, uh, he's trying to help me do some layout for my college football preview. Yeah. He's like, well, what program did you use when you were at the register? And I was like, well, first of all, I haven't been there and I haven't done a newspaper layout in 20 years. Secondly, when I was there, I was leaving just as they were bringing digital pagination in. And I sent all the years I was there, we were pinning stuff on the boards. Like when you watch movies from the 70s and 80s, that's the newsroom. That was the desk I worked on for five years. We did it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote and deleted like two or three emails. And you mocked me for that. I mocked you. Yes. (laughs) Damn millennials. Like when you, when your kids are like living in virtual realities that are four, four dimensional nine hours a day, oh, dude, I'm all, I, and they won't come out. You're gonna be like, man, these kids today, yeah, they won't live in reality. No, I. It's like Fortnite. I'm like, what the heck is Fortnite, boy? What a stupid looking game that is, man. Kids these days, <laughs> and it begins. You know what? My obsession this week has been. I didn't know we had this several years ago. My wife bought the old Mario Brothers for for oh, our nice. Wii U. Yeah. And it's just been sitting on the shelf. And so I've been playing the original from the from my first Nintendo in the 80s all this week. Yeah. And I've, I've actually gotten to, that game is so much easier than I remember it because today's games yeah. are so more technical, yeah. so more involved. It took me months when I was 12, 13 years old to finish that game. There's eight worlds. I got a, in a, in, already this week, I've gotten a world seven. Like, this went on like an entire winter. I was coming home from basketball practice. I wouldn't blink for hours trying to master this game. I thought it was impossible. I don't remember it being this easy. Games were not as tough back then. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot more going on now. You could save your game either. I know. That's, this and Zelda were the first two games you could save. That's one of the reasons they were huge deals. You'd have to start over every time, you know, which was a huge hassle. All right, final thought. I'm going to leave uh, leave you with this thought from one of our smarter listeners. I, I like what this guy says when he, he writes us some really pithy and wise things. Jeffrey Payne is one of our podcast listeners in Florida, and he says, The great seduction in the progressive religion is that the mind is made into the heart's cute little lapdog. 
How can that be? Because the core progressive idea is this. Power controls truth. Arguing with a progressive is therefore impossible. They will simply construct a truth that justifies their feelings and assert it loudly and repeatedly and with a supersized side order of profanity and insults if you push them too far. They will also take our arguments and replace them with a constructed truth that makes it into phobic, hateful, makes us into phobic, hateful troglodytes. See, they are more evolved and therefore entitled not only to survive, but to rule. The rest of us, we are somewhat less evolved. And that means we really only deserve extinction. That we are allowed to live under comprehensive dominion of progressives is something for which we should be profoundly grateful. Since we can't argue with progressives, then if America is to remain America, we will have to disempower them. Two ways this could go, in my honest opinion. One, we fight. Replace arguments with violence, whether this becomes the low-intensity agony of Ireland during the Troubles or the Middle East any time, or whether it escalates into full-blown civil war is unknowable. What is knowable is that it will be bad, and it will not end well for either side. Number two, we believe. Replace our faith in that central lie of progressivism, that power controls truth with the faith that it is the truth that sets us free. Every lie loses its power when people know it's a lie. Then the progressives get pushed to the margins with the flat earthers, 9-11 truthers, without our having to go to war with ourselves. But option two also means we stop putting our faith in the central power in modern society, government. At present, for tens of millions of Americans, and that's where we started this conversation, right, with Social Security? For tens of millions of Americans, it is quite literally unthinkable for education, charity, retirement, medical care, and quite a lot less to be anything other than public utilities. The vast control machine we built under that mindset is the work that reveals our faith. We also believe in power on the right. Under that mindset, progressives win. Pack up your cooler, fold up your picnic chairs, and gather the kitties. The game is over. What it will take for the American faith and more what will it take for the American faith and more power to be shaken into collapse? To stop following our hearts, which ends in hell, start walking with the narrow road that leads to life. I fear to know the answer to that question. But the alternative is continuing a spiral down in the grip of our addiction until we hit systemic collapse boom no i love it no no easy answers we're all going to be grown-ups here these are the possibilities uh they're going to be tough don't lie to yourself about it um man that's that, that's solid food from a a man yeah and basically especially at the the, the, the beginning the uh, words about progressivism he described in more words and greater eloquence and detail Essentially, the worldview of Lord Voldemort. Mm-hmm. There is only power and those too weak to seek it. That, that is progressivism. And unfortunately, as he described, we're all progressives now to hmm. some degree. Treason never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none will dare call it treason. Have a great week. Don't forget, we are gone this coming week. Enjoy your fourth. Remember the reason for the season. Happy Independence Day. We will see you again a week from Monday right here on Westwood One. Please subscribe to our podcast. Give us a positive review if you have time. Many of you have done that already. It really helps us to get the word out. Thank you very much. Until we meet again, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. 